0: back in court today my name is ed Piscore. i'm jim Rugg. and uh kayfabe courtroom is in session one uh neil gaiman versus todd McFarlane. but first jimmy what are you hawking out there
1: um street angel deadly Scroll live you guys all know it from image comics available wherever you buy your books bookstores comic book shops online and we're getting near the end of this print run so if you want one of these especially in time for christmas you got to act now and act quick the other thing is join me on Patreon, patreon.com slash jimrug, where you can download a dozen out-of-print zines and minis. You can see a bunch of original art from Street Angel, Plain Janes, uh, Octobriana, see how I make the comics I make at patreon.com
0: slash jimrug. Red Room, the antisocial network, out there on the stands today. They are going fast, and there is a supply chain issue when it comes to getting paper to the print mills, Jimmy. So. Not sure when these reprints are going to hit the stands. And uh, furthermore, the, the first printing of Red Room Trigger Warnings, issue number one, which is going to be in December, we got word back from the printer that it's going to take at least six weeks extra to print that thing because of the backed up queue and all the print jobs they have in, in the hopper that have been waiting for that paper to arrive. It's going to come out in February. So go to your comic shops, put in those pre-orders. I want to see this, this comic go into reprints day one. That's what I want. Uh, if you want to read the comic already, I'm serializing that stuff on, on my Patreon, patreon.com slash Piscore three bucks for the archive for everything over 200 pages worth of comics. And those links are on our link tree in my link tree in the description below this video. You have a link tree also. Let's debrief real quick. Uh, Once again, thanks to Dan best for, for making these depositions uh, available to us. He's been popping in the comments here and there, but let's debrief a little bit. Should
1: should plug his book too. Todd McFarlane versus the world is, is where you could find this in print. But uh, as you say, he, he does have a blog with this stuff on it. So, uh, Daniel Best, appreciate the uh, the efforts, and uh, and filling in gaps in those comments that he adds. So.
0: Some legal gymnastics that go into to court cases. Yeah, no doubt and, about it. Way uh, more
1: than I had any idea before we started this.
0: So sometimes, like, f- what the conversation we're having is about isn't really, like, the means to an end. We're playing with pawns. Like, these are—this isn't checkers. We're, we're playing chess. And I was more— I was given Gaiman more of a benefit of the doubt in a way than, than some of the viewers who brought up some good ideas. And what I'm saying is uh, we're talking at this point, Angela Cogliostro medieval spawn. They bring up medieval spawn. And uh, is this a derivative character? Yes. Yes. When you start to say that kind of thing, uh, my mind is like, okay, like medieval spawn. He's not that interested in that. Like, He's going to... When they go to their negotiations... All right, Todd, you keep Medieval Spawn. I'm going to get these characters. Uh, some people in the comments were like... You know it's not about any of that nonsense. Like... All those characters are pawns. Angela's a pawn. Cogliosha's a pawn. Medieval Spawn's a pawn. Let me get Miracle Man back. You know? Like, tooling with these characters to, for the ultimate goal to be Miracle Man... who's to say nil mr Gaiman? you're coming to town in may uh you're coming to pittsburgh this is this is our town we're the comic makers here uh you gotta come see us that's how it works man you gotta come see us we gotta get you under the hot lights gotta have a conversation and uh you know we won't have people chant cartoonist kayfabe all day when you're giving (laughs) your talk (laughs) nil Come see us, man. That email's out there. Oh, you know what? One other piece uh, of the debriefing, like, as I was listening, uh, when he's talking, no, know, Gammon's talking about Cogliostro, he's saying stuff like he's a fraud character, things mm-hmm. like that. In, in social dynamics, using strong language like that is dicey. A, words like that could be associated with the speaker. Okay. So that all okay. happened right before we went into this recess that was spurred on by Neil Gaiman's own lawyer interjecting, hey, how about we take a lunch real soon? And this is like a paragraph or two after after Neil Gaiman saying all that fraud stuff. I wonder if the lawyer said, be careful with some of your language stuff because like, we're here in a deposition. It's not really a courtroom. But if you're in a court and there's like some jury of the peers or even a judge... Like, don't say the F word in a case where you're trying to figure something like this out, man.
1: Man, I have no idea what kind of conversations those guys would have had. But it's amazing to consider, like, a lawyer and Neil Gaiman discussing, like, language and use of language. Because, you know, you think of law as being so—language is so important. And obviously, Neil Gaiman, one of the great comic writers, like, knows his way around a, a keyboard. Um, it's, it's cool to think about language conversations between these two different industries— and, uh, at a high level like that.
0: Yeah, because uh, like you use those words to different ends, right? So, so like, fraud is a strong word and can be very evocative in a story. But guess what? We're trying to get some rights to some stuff. Tone it down a piece.
1: I, I get it totally. I'm, I believe in Oxford commas because of a court case in Kansas. Yes. So, like, you know... <laughs> yes, I would defer to a lawyer uh, when it comes to language like that. So very, very interesting observation, Ed. All
0: right, so the way that <laughs> this game is played... And we have uh, the earlier parts of these depositions in the description directly below this video. But the way this game is played, I play the voice of everybody who's not Neil Gaiman uh, for this deposition, which is Neil Gaiman's. Uh, Jimmy's going to handle that. And we're just getting back from lunch. Precisely. And, and,
1: and, and deposition is 2002, about 10 years after the, uh, the spawn issue in question or this whole debate began.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, Mr. Gaiman, before we took a break, we were talking at some length about what we had agreed to call the 1992 Agreement. Do you recall this t- that testimony? I do. And I suppose we just, so so we have all taken a break and gotten back into our conversational mode, uh, we should remind ourselves that, for the record, this afternoon, and I'm going to try to move things along more quickly this afternoon with specific questions and show you some documents and so forth, if we can try to pay attention uh, to those formalities... It'll make things go faster and cleaner uh, for the record. Is that okay? Absolutely. And I just want to cl- clarify a couple of things that you stated. You testified you did not, that the first time you had a conversation with Todd McFarlane about uh, specific financial terms related to the 1992 agreement was either 1995 or 1996. Is that correct? Yes. So at that time you were entering into the 1992 agreement with Mr. McFarlane, you never discussed any particular percentage. Uh, royalty rates uh, that might apply did you no and you never discussed what would be done in the case of reprints did you no and you never discussed even the possibility of toys or action figures being created based on any of the work you were doing did you I remember at one point in those early days mr.
1: McFarlane said that I would that he would have to trademark the characters in his name because of the toys and I didn't have but I but that I shouldn't worry about that, and I said fine. When was that conversation, do you know? That was sometime in early 93. I don't remember when you got the toy company actually together, I remember it as being early 93.
0: Was this before or after issue nine was completed? I don't know. Do you recall anything else about that conversation? Just that it was in there with a lot of other
1: stuff, but I do remember that was the only recolle- recollection specific I have to toys of those days.
0: You didn't talk anything specific as to if a toy is created based on one of these characters, that you would get some percentage of the sales of that toy, did you? I remember him again saying, hey, I'm going to look after you, you know. He said,
1: I'm going to do toys, and saying that he would look after me, but there were no specific figures mentioned, and I assumed his good faith.
0: I understand. Sometimes lawyers, uh, we've got to get to the specifics, certainly if and generally helps us get to the specifics, please let me know. Weird sentence. Uh, The 1992 agreement that we've been talking about, uh, was that, as far as you know, was that limited to your work on Issue 9? Limited to my work on Issue 9 and any use that Mr. McFarlane made of it. Of Issue 9? Yes. What about Issue 26? Did you not submit some work for Issue 26?
1: Yes, and I assumed that we were in the same... Having heard nothing to the contrary, I assumed we were still in the same ballpark.
0: Would that be true also of the Angela miniseries, uh, the work you did on that? Absolutely. When you were doing issue 26, was that around 1994, do you know? Around then. And the Angela miniseries came around the same time, did it not? I wrote that stuff together. In fact, I may have
1: even written the bit for 26 after I wrote the Angela series, just going, I really wanted... Uh, There was a little piece of bridge information that I really wanted in the storyline, which I hadn't been able to put into the Angela series, because it hadn't started there, and I just wanted to set things up.
0: And so the Angela miniseries and the work you did on issue 26, those would have been 1994? Yes. Does that sound right? In any event, prior to financial discussions you had with Todd McFarlane in 1995 or 1996, correct? Yes. Yes. And so the work you did on the Angela miniseries and the work you did on Issue 26, as far as you knew, was done uh, on the same terms as you agreed in 1992 with Todd regarding Issue 9. Yes. When you started having the conversations with Todd in 1995 or 1996, let me ask you specifically... Have you had a chance, since we had this conversation earlier this morning, to determine whether your meeting with Todd in Phoenix was in 1995 or 1996?
1: The meeting was in 1996. There may have been conversations that led to the meeting, because otherwise I can't imagine. Uh, It's much more me going, you know, I wouldn't have just flown out to Phoenix to sort it out face-to-face if we hadn't had phone conversations, or I was obviously not satisfied with the way things were going on the phone.
0: When you had your meeting with Todd in 1996 in Phoenix, is it fair to say that's the first time you and Todd discussed specific financial terms uh, that in your mind should have applied to the 1992 agreement? Yes. At the time you did, at the time did you, well, tell me at the time what you told Todd, if you can remember, that the terms should have been.
1: Well, what was happening, let me just preface, let me just preface this by what was going on at that point. Please do. In the meantime, Todd did a medieval spawn toy. It was one of his first rollouts of the toys. He credited me unasked, which I thought was very nice of him as the co-creator of the character on a comic that came out with the toy, and later sent me a check for $20,000, which although it didn't come with any breakdown of how it was derived, and in fact, I think just came with a helpful note, this is for Todd because we love you, or something like that, I was told on the phone that my royalty share the medieval spawn toy, which I thought was really cool. And then Todd,
0: then I wrote the medieval the Angela series. Let me stop you there, if I can. It's your recollection that the medieval spawn toy came out and that you received the twenty thousand dollars check. It was twenty thousand six. There, there was a bunch of figures. Okay, I realize that it may have a different twenty thousand eight hundred or something, uh, some or something cents. We are referring to the same payment you received for the Medieval Spawn toys, right? Yes. I want to get a timing here. Uh, If I understood you correctly, your testimony is that those events occurred, the toy being produced, and you receiving payment for it, Medieval Spawn, was prior to your writing the Angela miniseries. Is that correct?
1: That would be my recollection. It may have occurred about the same time. It would be easy enough to check. I
0: mean, it will be in the documents. So in any event, so go on. So you were saying you got this money for the toy, and lead me up to uh, you getting to Phoenix.
1: So I have been paid money for the toy. Don't know how it's been arrived at, but it's $20,000, and that seems a fair amount to me. And Todd seems to be living up to his, hey, you can trust me, and I'm looking after you side of the deal. Then 1995, late 1994, early 1995, the Angela toys are out. I remember being incredibly proud when they made the cover of USA Today as the most inappropriate toy of the year, according to the American Family Association. And I would hear from Todd that they were selling incredibly well and that they were incredibly popular, cool, the Angela toys. And I thought, great, I will get a royalty on these. Nothing ever happened. No payment ever came in. I would ring Todd's people and say, is there a payment? And they would go, oh yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. We are not businessmen here. Todd would say that a lot, that he wasn't a businessman. He was a creator, and you just had to bear with a certain amount of disorganization and his funny way of doing things. So I waited, never saw any royalty. I had written the Angela miniseries, and the main reason I had actually written the Angela miniseries was my son, Mike, at that point was 13 going on 14, if memory serves, and he had found a copy of Spawn, or he had found one of those medieval Spawn toys and said, this is really cool. And he started asking me, you know, Dad, why didn't you write something I could read? I love this Spawn stuff. So I found Todd and said, Okay, I think I'm in. It looks like I'm going to be writing another series for you. Let's do Angela. And let's do it as a three-issue miniseries. And Todd said, Great. And really, it was just written for Mike. The last issue in the letter column, we put a photo of his hockey team, which he loved.
0: Tell me again. So more, moving forward again. And... Sir, I really was on the way. I apologize for interrupting you. I don't want to. Like I said, I do want to get through some things by 5 today. I'm sorry. That's all right because it's all important. It's all part of the story, but you have got the Angela you've got the Angela things coming out. Anyway,
1: Angela comes out. I hear from them, Todd didn't like the trade paperbacks. Todd had said to me several times just in conversation there were things he didn't like and he didn't like trade paperbacks because they weren't proper comics and he didn't trust them. And meanwhile, I was making a huge part of my income from trade paperbacks and saw that there was an enormous demand for them. So at one point in there, they said, we're going to be bringing out Angela and trade paperback. And I said, great, we should work out a royalty deal on this. I said, I was feeling less comfortable by that point with the idea.
0: Let me stop you uh, right there. You just said that you found out that they were going to do an Angela trade paperback of the three issues that you had done. Is that right? Yes. And you said, great, let's work on a royalty deal. Is that what you just said? Well, I said to them, what is the, do we have a royalty deal on this?
1: Up until that point, the only way that things seemed to work was one would get these checks and they would say, here's a check for $800 because Todd thinks you're a good guy. And I actually saw in the press at one point an interview with Todd where he was saying, no, we don't do royalties, we just send people love checks and they are better than any royalties could ever be. So I didn't trust the love checks and I went out to Phoenix. I talked to Todd, I do remember talking to him. I have no recollection of what the substance of the conversations were in 95. Towards the end of 95, about, I think I was getting a little bit testy here, I felt like there were no checks coming in. He had these things and he was not paying and there seemed to be no real effort to pay. And I was concerned that, as I said earlier, that Todd should either sell the toy business to Mattel, or he could get hit by a truck, and there would be no paper records of any kind of deal, and I thought we needed to memorialize
0: it. So you thought in 1995, you've now seen the Medieval Spawn toy you got a check for, but now later there's an Angela toy that apparently is very popular, but you've not seen a check for that. Is that correct? Yes. And the Angela Trade paperback's coming out and it occurs to you that, it's, that now it's time to figure out what your royalty arrangement is with Todd because the actions that Todd has taken in the last three years uh, don't tell you what your royalty is. Is that correct? Yes. So then you have your meeting in 1996. Yes. With Todd and that meeting is in Phoenix. It is. Do you recall what time of year? I think it would have been late spring, very
1: early summer, because I had just come back from England where I had made a TV show, and I remember I had a tape of one of the episodes with me.
0: I'm going to ask you if it was hot, but that really doesn't wouldn't help in Phoenix. <laughs>
1: it was very, very hot.
0: <laughs> well, that tells me it was spring as opposed to hot in January. Okay, now that you are up to this meeting in spring of 96, and this is when you and Todd sit down and start hashing out?
1: We sit... We are not at this point in any way. It is not in any way adversarial at this point. It's me going in and saying, look, you said when we started this whole deal you would take better care of me than DC did. We have to put something down on paper. You could sell to Mattel tomorrow. You could get hit by a car tomorrow. I don't trust your wife to send me love checks or to know what they are for. I have created characters for you. You are using them. If you go on to do TV or movies and put them in, there's a whole other world out here that we have yet not got into. Let's get this down on paper.
0: So is it correct to say that at the time you meet with Todd in Phoenix, you two do not have a deal regarding future movie rights, you do not have a deal regarding future TV <coughs> rights based on the use of these characters? Would that be correct? And then Neil Gaiman's lawyer interjects, "I'm going to object as vague." He said in terms of the DC comic, he's he said in terms of the DC comics, I have a deal In terms of general terms, as opposed to, say, 5% of this or this. Wow. Uh, Question. This is McFarlane's lawyer. That's fair. Let's do it this way. Let me ask you another question or two. Then maybe I will hand you some documents. We could focus on that.
1: Okay. Shall I finish about the Phoenix meeting? Please do. Okay. And Todd kept saying but you can trust me and I will send you I will send you bigger checks than you will get if you have a contract. And I said, Todd, call me silly, but I would much rather have a written contract and $500 in royalties than $1,500 that is going to turn up on a whim and could end the moment that you decide it's not convenient. And he said that he thought that was crazy. And I said that that was how, you know, just assume that was how I was billed. And we then wound up. Then everything ended very badly in terms of Todd had to wrap up rather quickly. Larry Martyr had come out for that meeting because they just learned that Mark Silvestri had left the image partnership that day, so they had to sort of get on the phone and try to sort that out. The way it was left ended was Todd saying, do you trust me? And I said, I trust you completely. He said, good, then I will work this out in a way that is going to be fine. He said, I'm really pleased you came down here. You have been completely reasonable and we will sort this out. And he also said that, He mentioned to me he just bought Miracle Man. Uh Uh-oh. And he said, what are you going to do with Miracle Man? What are you thinking about? And I said, I don't know at this point. And he said, well, I've had lawyers look over the agreement that you made with Alan Moore, and we think we could break it, but obviously we are going to honor it. So you have, you know, we are going to respect your third of Miracle Man, but we need to figure out what it is, and it may be a bargaining chip. And I said, well, that's fine.
0: Let me get this straight, and we will ask some specifics. Let's go at the end. Is it your testimony that Todd first mentioned Miracle Man to you when you were in Phoenix at that meeting in 1996?
1: No, it's not. Todd mentioned Miracle Man to me when he did the Eclipse, when he bought the Eclipse assets, which I think was either some months earlier than that because he had phoned me up and asked if I knew anything about some Canadian guy who was trying to buy Miracle Man alone and if I knew anything about this. And I said, yes. Yes. The guy had gotten in touch with me and asked if Mark and I would be willing to continue with Miracle Man if he got the rights, and Todd said that he was, you know, thinking of bidding on the whole of Eclipse or whatever, or that he just had bid on the whole of Eclipse, one of the two.
0: So you leave the 1996 meeting in Phoenix without specific terms as to royalty rights, is that correct? Yes. And when I refer, when I'm saying royalty rights, you leave 1996, you leave Phoenix in 1996 after that meeting and you still you and Todd had still not agreed to any certain percentage of royalty should be applied to reprints or a certain percentage should be applied to toys, etc. Todd had... I'm sorry for interrupting.
1: No, go ahead. Todd had absolutely agreed during that meeting that he had said that he would treat me as well as DC or that if he had not said it, it was the kind of thing that
0: he would have said. So you did have an agreement that it would be as good as DC, but you but you didn't have you and Todd had not discussed what as good or better than DC meant. Is that correct? I
1: went home figuring that paperwork would be done.
0: But my question is up until the point when you left, if I can, okay, and I realize we are having a conversation here. This is important, and I want to try to get this clearly. When you left Phoenix in 1996, is it accurate to say that you and Todd had still not discussed actually what it meant to be as good as DC Comics or better than DC Comics. Is that correct?
1: Yes, we had not discussed it in terms of numbers. That's what I mean. We discussed it in terms
0: of... You have you had discussed, for example, had you not, that to be better than DC Comics meant you didn't have to uh, assign away your rights. Is that correct?
1: That was much earlier. We didn't talk about that in 96. What we were talking about in 96 was much more just the kind of stuff Have you read the Oakland transcript? Yes. It was that kind of conversation where you are going, you know, numbers are not actually being talked about except for hypothetically. But you are saying, well, I'm saying, look, I like it that they treat me like this. I like it that every quarter I can expect a royalty payment. I like it if they are using a character. If I created, if he gets his own title, I get treated well. I was a little uncomfortable at that point with the fact that they had just done these Angela Glory or Medieval Spawn Witchblade crossover things or in the process of doing them. And I was saying, "Well, do I get a royalty on those?" And Todd was saying, "I don't know how to give you a royalty because the way it works at Image is Image is all one big family and I don't get a royalty. I just say to the guys, "Go ahead. You can use my character and if at some point want, I can use one of yours." So the idea of this big image publishing family, he was saying no money was actually coming back to him for Medieval Spawn, Witchblade, and Angela, Glory. So I couldn't, so he couldn't give me a share. So he would have to figure out a way to do something like that, which wouldn't necessarily be financial. So he might have to come up with alternatives that DC Comics
0: couldn't have come up with, but he would try to ensure they were fair. And you just told me a bunch there. So I'm taking a few notes as you were going. Not a problem. All right. So then at some point after the meeting in Phoenix, you expected to hear from Todd as to his idea of what specific numbers would be. Is that correct? Yes. And you, and did you, in fact, get a proposal from Larry Mortar outlining what Todd thought those numbers would be? Eventually, but that wasn't the next thing that happened. What was the next thing that happened?
1: The next thing that happened was I got a call from Larry saying that Todd had asked him to Larry was, I think, executive director of Image Comics at that point. And he said that Todd had asked him to do the nuts and bolts figure work with me and put together something that Todd would then sign off
0: on. So Larry began to play sort of an intermediary role uh, between busy Todd McFarlane and busy Neil Gaiman. Incredibly busy Todd McFarlane and
1: fairly busy Neil Gaiman. So Larry was always in the office and was available. So I then photocopied a bunch of my DC Comics contracts for him. I just grabbed the nearest contracts, photocopied it, wrote a note, cover note, summarizing, you know, from the contracts roughly what the financial stakes and all this stuff was, or precisely what the financial stakes in it was, but with the contracts to amplify and faxed off a, you know, eight, 10 page fax to
0: him. Then did Larry respond at some point after that with a proposal from Todd? Yes. I'm going to hand you what's been previously marked into depositions last week as Exhibit 25. Actually, I'm not going to hand it to you because I have notes all over it, but I'm going to ask you to take a look at what your lawyer will hand you.
1: My lawyer will hand me a copy.
0: I would like to take a look at that, uh, if you would, and tell me if you can identify that document.
1: That would be the cover sheet. Well, the first page, not the cover sheet of the facts to Larry.
0: And down near the lower right-hand corner, do you see some numbers that say TM00571? Yep. I will represent to you that this particular document was marked in, I believe it was Larry Mortar's deposition as Plaintiff's Exhibit 25, near the top, and this entire document is handwritten, is it not? It is. With the exception of some fax header information at the bottom. Yep. And near the top right corner uh, is the words 8 pages total do you see that yep is this what you were referring to as attached to this particular document were some contracts that you grabbed that were dc contracts yes what's the date of this particular document exhibit 25
1: 6 of november 96
0: so this would have been after your meeting in phoenix and after larry called you to say that todd had asked him to play inter- an intermediary role is that correct
1: There was a period of time in there where I had still not got any money or anything, still not got anything back. And there was dead silence from Todd after the Phoenix meeting. And I believe that my agent wrote a letter to Todd around that time, which was the point where Larry got in touch with me. Todd was no longer taking my phone calls and wasn't responding to my agent. And that was when, so we are now at, so there was several months that went by in there with no word or response from the Todd camp. And then Larry gets in touch and says, I'm going to sort it out. So this would have been a fairly swift response to me from Larry's initial call.
0: In the first sentence, it says, Dear Larry, I grabbed uh, a couple of contracts and have faxed you all the relevant pages. Uh Uh-huh. Would this have been the first time you supplied anybody on behalf of Todd McFarlane, Todd himself, or Terry Fitzgerald, or now Larry Martyr with copies of DC contracts? I don't know. Do you recall at any time prior to the 6th of November, 1996, uh, ever showing Todd McFarlane any part of your DC contracts?
1: I several times sent Todd, or sent at least Larry. I know that Todd got them because he commented on it once, my DC contracts.
0: The entire contract?
1: At one point, yes. When was that? That was the letter that Melanie Cook, I forwarded Melanie a complete contract and she just sent it on to Larry when she sent the letter at the end of this saying, you know, no, we are done on your comebacks. You have to stick with this. This is the contract. She sent the entire contract. I think on this one, I left out a couple of pages just because I was trying to pick them, pick the relevant stuff.
0: So my question about Will?
1: But as far as I know, this was probably the first time. I can't say.
0: Well, you just talked about a second ago with Melanie Cook sending a contract. That was after this, is that correct?
1: Yes, I think this was probably the first time.
0: Certainly back in 1992, you hadn't taken a look at each other's contracts.
1: No, absolutely not. I might have sent him something in 95 if he asked. I don't remember what was. Or even early 96, I might have well gone out to Phoenix and said, here's a contract, you can keep it if you like.
0: I want to take you down through this really quickly. Item number one, it says movies, audio, stage, etc. 15% of net receipts, is that correct?
1: That's what it says.
0: And then the next item, item two, retail products. And this is a little unclear to me. So if you could explain to me what is contained in item number two.
1: I don't know. I got it from the contract.
0: Well, it looks to me like, and tell me if I'm mischaracterizing this, it looks like you have three possible ways of calculating what you have marked as writer royalty. Uh-huh. And, and then plus an additional two different ways of calculating a creator royalty when there are retail products. Is that correct?
1: That is what I understand, but I would have taken this from... All I would have done on this cover note is just copy out summarizing the figures from the relevant paragraph in the DC Comics thing.
0: So that's where all this information in this letter comes from?
1: Yeah, and would have been, and I mean but the statement at the top you have left out is the words in brief. I say, I'm faxing you all the relevant pages in brief. I was just trying to summarize it to be helpful.
0: No, I understand that.
1: So the actual document with how it would all have been done would have been attached to this.
0: I realize that this is just your attempt to summarize the relevant terms uh, that you see that you saw applying to your relationship with Todd. Is that correct?
1: Not all of them, but it was an attempt to summarize the numbers from the DC Comics contract that would have been attached.
0: After the meeting or after you sent Exhibit Number 1 to Larry Martyr, uh did you get a response from Mr. McFarlane or Mr. Martyr?
1: I got one from Larry after a while that came back with a fairly pitiful offer. I mean, it was not only not my DC deal, but it was significantly worse. And I thought, this is very strange and very silly. And I phoned Larry and said, well, can you explain some of this stuff to me? Can you explain how net is going to be calculated and so on and so forth? And he said, no, I cannot. You will have to trust Todd. Then he sent me another version of that with a little more information about the toys on it. And I looked at these and I thought, well, these are not what has been promised. And this is not, this isn't even, I thought we were working together. The last thing Todd said is you can trust me. And I'm going, I can trust you and so on so forth. And now he is coming back with this is the deal. And it was, you know, these 2% of net for this and half a percent of net for this. I'm going, that's not what, we are into. This is, you know, ridiculous, and at that point, I forwarded it to my entertainment lawyer.
0: No, Gaiman's lawyer uh, interjects, be careful about communications with counsel. Understood. Thank you. I forwarded it to my entertainment
1: lawyer because Mr. McFarlane was not responding to my literary agent and didn't seem to take her seriously. So my entertainment lawyer then sent a letter to Larry Martyr as the person that had been negotiating.
0: Let me stop you right there. Uh, if you could take a look at a document that was previously marked in, I believe, Todd McFarlane's or Larry Marder's deposition as Plaintiff's Exhibit 47. Uh-huh. And would you tell me what this is, if you know?
1: This is a letter from Melanie Cook, my entertainment lawyer, to Larry Marder.
0: Is this the letter that you referred to earlier from Melanie Cook in which she enclosed full copies of your relevant DC Comics contracts?
1: She has. There is a DC Comics contract attached 12 pages.
0: Is this the letter you were referring to earlier when you talked about Melanie Cook sending contracts to Todd McFarlane or Larry Marger? Yes, and... Let me ask you a quick question before we talk about this. You testified before when you were meeting with in Phoenix that you in, that you told Todd that you wanted... I don't know if this is the exact word that you use, but I want to see if I can characterize them. Uh, please correct me if I'm doing it wrongly. But you told Todd that you preferred regular statements... Knowing, that, uh, knowing when the royalties were going to come and what the royalties were going to be. Is that correct? Yes. And that Todd, in fact, preferred a different arrangement, that he believed he would be able to treat you better uh, if he just sent, I think the term you used before were love checks. Is that right?
1: That was what Todd said. However, for the previous 18 months, no love checks had
0: appeared. I understand that. I'm just trying to get an understanding of the conversation you had in Phoenix. Yeah. Is it fair to say that you understood Todd's opinion of what being better than DC was to be sending his love, his irregular love checks? By that point, I don't think Todd... Exactly When are we talking about? Because it's pretty broad. We are in Phoenix. It's hot. And you guys are having your discussions over, as you said, the lack of any love checks for a while. And Angela, the miniseries is coming out. The lack of what?
1: The lack of prediction.
0: Okay. So you tell Todd, uh, and at this point Todd is still telling you that he's going to take care of you. Do you trust him? He is going to, of course. He said it would be better than D.C., and I certainly would have said that. Isn't that what you testified? Uh, in In that those are the things that Todd was saying in 1996 in Phoenix. Yes, absolutely. And you also testified that in Todd's view, you were... I think you used the word crazy to insist on predictability and regular royalty checks and regular royalty rates. Is that right? Yes. And what I want to understand is that did Todd tell you that he could do better for you or that you would do better if you did not insist on regular regular royalty payments and instead left it up to him to send you checks when he got around to it, so to speak? I don't think he specifically said that, no. Did you come away from the meeting with that understanding of Todd's view of the world? In other words, I think you testified that you had to convince him that I may be crazy, Todd and I may be taking less, but I, I want predictability. Is that right?
1: Yes, and I also I wanted predictability, and I also wanted some guarantee. At that point, I still trusted Todd. I didn't trust any other entities.
0: I understand, uh, because... As you said before there was nothing in writing at this point and if he sells out to somebody else all they're going to care about is paper and there is no paper and you are screwed exactly
1: that was what started this whole thing is trying to get something down on paper
0: i understand take a look at exhibit uh 47 if you would yep in the second paragraph actually uh take a look at the first sentence uh first sentence this office represents Neil gaiman and mr gaiman has forwarded me a copy Of your written offer to him dated February 18th, 1997. Do you see that? Yeah. Is that the offer you were referring uh, to having received from Mr. Mortar, which you said was significantly less than the terms that you had sent him back in November? It would be one of those two faxes, yes. The second paragraph says, if you look about three sentences down, excuse me, three lines down. Hang on a second. I have a feeling that we are
1: just sort of starting a long questioning thing. Could I just pop out and use the toilet?
0: Absolutely. no gaming. just took a whiz. Question. Uh, I think we had gotten up to the point in time chronologically, uh, this April 1997 letter from a Melanie Cook to Larry Marder. Do you recall our discussion at that point before we took a break? Yep. If you would look at the second paragraph in Exhibit 47 in the third sentence, third line down, which begins with the word rather, do you see that? Yep. Could you read that sentence out loud for me?
1: Quote, rather the characters were created pursuant, quote, which is probably a legal term that I would want to check the meaning of. Quote, in the terms of an oral agreement under which Mr. McFarlane agreed Mr. Gaiman would be compensated on the same terms as set forth in Mr. Gaiman's DC Comics Agreement dated August 1st, 1993, the DC Agreement, a copy of which I have
0: attached here too. end quote. And attached, in fact, to Exhibit 47 are two agreements. Are uh, there not two separate agreements, both with an August 1st, 1993 date? Is that right? Yes. One of the beginning on. No,
1: as far as I know, it's one agreement. There is one signature, but one is a character equity agreement and one is a contract to write 13 episodes of Sandman.
0: So is it your testimony that these are two parts to essentially the same agreement? Yes. Anywhere in the document attached to Exhibit 47, is there a signature?
1: There is also a Schedule A royalty provisions at the back. Not on this one. It looks to me like this was FedExed. It was faxed to them from the fax number at the bottom is the same as the fax number of my agent in New York. So I assume that Melanie Cook had contacted Merrily, my agent, for a copy of the contract, and they just pulled one out of their files, which would have been a working document rather than a finished contract, which would have come to me and
0: come to D.C. Neil Gaiman's uh, lawyer, uh, could, could we mark this? Exhibits 57 and 58 are marked for identification. And then McFarland's lawyer pops in. I've just handed you two documents that we have marked for identification purposes today as exhibit 57 and 58. Right. And could you take a look at these uh, for a minute or two or however long you need to and see if you could tell me what those are?
1: These would be my finished contracts, the actual executed contracts.
0: And these are the executed versions of the contracts, which were attached in unsigned contracts, which were attached to Melanie Cook's letter, is that correct? Yeah. Gaiman's lawyer interjects, "Uh, just make sure it's the same dates. Witness examines documents.
1: Well, the August 1st, 1993 one is actually the September 1st, 1992 one. Yeah,
0: could you explain that to me? And what are you referring to on the third page of Exhibit 47 is the character equity agreement dated August 1st, 1993, and that's the one you testified was not executed, is that correct? Yes, it's not signed. And the agreement uh, which you have marked Exhibit 57 is your executed copy of that same agreement, is that correct? Yep. Yep. At the upper right corner, the date, there's a line through August 1st, 1993. It has been changed to September 1st, 1992, is that correct? Yep. Why is that?
1: No idea, but you would have to check with DC Comics. Probably, I mean, I know I'm not going to speculate, but I can offer a probably. Gaiman's
0: lawyer says, yes.
1: My probably on that would be because the contract goes from Sandman 50 to 73, and the contract negotiations had probably gone for a while, and they probably looked back and realized that if they signed it as of August 1st, 1993, it would have been without a contract between September the 1st, 1992, which would have been when probably Sandman 49 was handed in in August 1st, 1993. That would be my, it's the most logical assumption.
0: Do you see right there, just below the line through the date, there appears to be a handwritten initial. Is that your initial? Do you see what I'm talking about? Yeah. To me, kind of looks like a Y, but is that ng perhaps i think it's more likely an l for
1: levitt's but i don't know
0: there's another one at the bottom of page three there's another
1: one at the bottom that can be ng well it also looks like exactly the same as the l in levitt's though
0: take a look at page four right up above paragraph 10 there's a correction a correction to the spelling of your agent's name in the same initials don't know does that look like a correction you would have made rather than?
1: I wouldn't have made them. My agent, I mean they are all typed, which means that it all would have been done by the time it got to me.
0: Your testimony is that you are not certain as to why the date was changed, but you believe if we checked when SAMDN50 came out, that would probably correspond to make sure that it covered the entire number of issues.
1: That would be, that would be my best guess. All of the changes would have been made at DC and by my agent before it got to me.
0: I think we've just pointed out the only changes in this agreement. Well, I don't know if we pointed out the only changes in this agreement. As far as you know, and take a few minutes to look at, if you need to, uh, Exhibit 57, the executed signed version of the contract that Melanie Cook sent Larry Mortar on April 2nd, 1997. I have
1: absolutely no idea. I would have to sit there and go through them. They look incredibly similar.
0: They are both originally dated August 1st, 1993, correct? Yep. And the reason I'm asking you this, Mr. Gaiman, is your testimony was that the letter sent by Melanie Cook attached, uh, attaching these agreements was, it was your position or your position that, through her, that these were uh, agreements essentially that Mr. McFarland had agreed to abide by when you guys met in Phoenix in 1996, is that correct?
1: Mr. McFarland had agreed to abide by this as I understood it, or to do better than this in 1992. In 1996, we agreed that we would put in writing what the specific amounts were going to be for future generations, and the McFarland and Company would abide
0: by those. You testified that you've never discussed any specific terms as to royalty rates, et cetera, back in 1992, correct?
1: No, I said I would get him contracts. So in
0: 1996, moving on into 1997, you and Todd start out having face-to-face meeting. Eventually, it becomes letter writing uh, between you and Larry Marder and finally turns into letter writing between a lawyer and Larry Marder. Is that correct?
1: No, I was talking on the phone continually with Larry. Let me just get to my... And this was not... I didn't see this as letters from my lawyer to Larry Marder. I saw this as, I have an entertainment lawyer. Todd and Larry are paying no attention to anything they get from my agent. I will ask my entertainment lawyer to please write a letter.
0: I didn't mean to characterize your... I'm not trying to characterize the tone of the letters or the tone of the conversation. I'm just trying to be accurate. I want to get uh, from you. Uh, tell me the language in Exhibit 57 or exhibit, uh, the contracts in Exhibit 47. And they may not be any different from each other from the important parts, but what is it it that, where in these documents are the terms that you understand uh, Mr. McFarland was supposed to abide by?
1: With the provision, obviously, that I'm not a lawyer and... Sure, and I
0: understand that, but it is your agreement. I know.
1: Schedule A is royalty provisions. If you go to, it's at the back of Exhibit 57.
0: Is there a page number down at the bottom uh, that starts with a G? G01018, and those
1: are royalty provisions for comics sales.
0: And those, if you look at the second to the last or the third to the last uh, page of Exhibit 47, that would appear to be the exact same thing, does it not? Schedule A royalty provisions? Without actually sitting here and comparing them, Take a minute or two. Would you like me to? Yes, please. Neil Gaiman's lawyer pops in. I I guess I would object to the question. They are either the same or they are different. And I don't know what the witness... with this witness trying to review them both right now and saying anything about can can add to that. McFarland's lawyer. Well, I just want to... I mean, I will tell you what. The reason I'm doing this and in the interest of speeding this up, maybe we uh, could take a few minutes to look at those things. And if you want... Uh, to do that off the record, that's fine. My goal is that I would like to be able to refer to one document when we start talking about the DC Comics Agreement that appears throughout the complaint as the document that, um, as the agreement that Mr. McFarland has allegedly breached or that contain the terms that Mr. McFarland has uh, allegedly breached. And so if we can refer to one of these documents in its terms, then I would uh, prefer to do that that way other than going back and forth three or four times. In which case, why don't we simply go
1: to the executed agreements?
0: That seems to be reasonable to me. Uh, I want to make sure you are comfortable with that if you want to talk to your lawyer about that. I will represent uh, to you that I've looked at these things pretty darn closely and they appear to be just that. One is executed version, one is an unexecuted version, but I'm not testifying. Uh, I want to make sure that you are comfortable before going forward. Then Neil Gaiman's lawyer pops in, says, just to add to that, uh, I haven't gone through all the documents. These are DC contracts as of certain dates, and there may be other ones on other dates. And again, it sounds to me uh, like in the discussion prior to 96, 97, it was discussed more generally between the two of them. No, I'm perfectly happy
1: with that. And if I can just say also, my guess is, as I said earlier, the only reason why you haven't unexecuted agreement as opposed to the executed agreement being sent to them is because that would have been what was in my agent's files and that was what was faxed over to Melanie when she wanted an example of a contract to send to them
0: now we got an extra party man Al Simmons (laughs) someone called Mr. Simmons pops in and says we are operating on the assumption that these contracts are identical and then uh, McFarland's lawyer For relevant purposes, and I will, let's refer to Exhibit 57, which actually had an executed date of September 1st, 1992, and refers to the work on Sandman issues 50 through 73. Uh, Would that be the equivalent of the DC Standard Comics deal that you expect Mr. McFarlane to at least match or approve upon uh, for purposes as stated in this agreement, work on Sandman issues?
1: No, it would have been the character equity agreement, which actually explains the equity that one has, that formalizes the agreement with DC on the equity and royalty structure one has for the from the
0: characters. That's the. Let me stop you right there. Uh, there are no additional royalties due uh, for for work on the issues. For example, the character equity agreement does not cover. It's my understanding, does not cover reprints simply of issues that you did that may not be triggered by inclusion of certain characters is that correct no let me ask you this let me ask you this <laughs> under the agreement uh, that's marked I- exhibit 57 that agreement is simply for work done on issues 50 through 73 of salmon is that correct uh-huh nothing in that agreement specifically refers to character equity does it no but that particular agreement contains a schedule a of royalty provisions correct yes And in return for doing the work that you do on issues uh, 50 through 73 of Sandman, you receive royalty payments based on sales of those particular issues. Is that correct? It
1: is. There is an additional document from D.C. that we would have produced in document production. In fact, we would have produced many copies of it, which is that before they put out the trade paperback, they they send you a document to sign clarifying that you are not dealing with the reprint, either clarifying these days clarifying that you are not dealing with the reprint rate in the early days offering you a choice on the last page g19 you have a reprint rates and which says for any pages of the work reprinted after initial publication which shall include additional printings dc agrees to pay writer a sum of no less than twenty dollars at full script and so forth
0: and i have seen some documents and i don't have them i'm not going to show uh, them to you today but i have seen documents uh, that where it seemed to be like one-page agreement in which they say choose A or choose B and you sign it and you say I chose A or B and that's what you are referring to. Exactly. Other than that, does Exhibit 57 and Schedule A attached thereto provide royalty terms that cover the sales of the specific issues of uh, the issues of Sandman 50 through 73? Yes. Exhibit 58 is a character equity agreement, correct? Yep. And that has a date of February 1st, 1993, correct? Yep. And for the purposes of today's deposition, uh, we can treat this as your executed version of the character agreement, the terms of which you expected Mr. McFarland to abide by. No Gaiman's lawyer pops in. Uh, Let's just, again, I'm going to object... These are very. I suspect there are various versions of these agreements with different dates, but lining, the lining out, indicates that uh, just a quick review of comparing Exhibit 58 with the analogous document as part of Exhibit 57 shows some differences in them. And so, Neil, if you can answer the question, fine, but make sure you can answer the question fairly before you do so, because if I were in your shoes, I couldn't. So then McFarland's lawyer pops in, let's do this. And that's a fair clarification. Let me ask you some, uh, I will ask you some specific questions. And if the provisions that we are talking about uh, is different in the two agreements, we will point that out. Gaiman's lawyer pops in. And again, there may be other agreements too. Uh, We may not have the universe of agreements uh, in this too. McFarland's lawyer, I understand that and let let me ask, maybe we can solve it this way. Mr. Gaiman, is this the only character equity agreement Uh, whether it's the draft attached to 47? Well, strike that. I think we could solve a problem this way. Uh, If you would like if you would look at the third page of Exhibit 47. Okay. And do you see that this is a character equity agreement that the first paragraph lists a series of characters who have appeared in various issues? Do you see that Yes, I do. Take a moment to look at the characters that are listed here. Uh, I think they are all in capital letters. Yep. Okay. Now, if you would uh, look at the first paragraph of Exhibit 58. Yep. Take a look at the characters that are listed in capital letters in Exhibit 58. Yep. Do those appear to be the same characters? Nope. I had one
1: removed. Which one is removed? I removed Destiny, who was a pre-existing character who I didn't feel that I had changed and they said that i had revised the pre-existing character of which i had and destiny and i just felt the character of destiny i had left him the same i mean i had given him a house i didn't feel that was revising a pre-existing character enough to actually warrant my going in there and saying you know i would like a share of this character so i had them remove that that was actually them offering something that i was perfectly happy to take away
0: other than that change taking destiny uh out of one of the characters, do the other characters appear to be the same? They do. So for th- for the characters of Dream, also known as Sandman, and the characters of Death, Desire, Despair, Unity, Kincaid, uh, which all appeared in Sandman number 10, Delirium, which appeared first in Sandman number 21, Destruction, first appearing in the Sandman special, is it fair to say that Exhibit 58 represents your executed agreement regarding character equity in those characters in Sandman? <laughs> Gaiman's lawyer interjects as of February 1st, 1993. McFarlane's lawyer as of February 1st, 1993. Question: Yes, that's my understanding. So again, for purposes of the actual agreement that you signed with DC Comics regarding character equity of these characters in Sandman, can we refer to the language of Exhibit 58 as being your agreement with DC Comics at least as of February 1st, 1993? Yep. Are you aware that? of any time uh, signing a character equity agreement with DC Comics other than Exhibit 58 that covers these same characters?
1: I would have to check the various character equity agreements that I have signed with them.
0: You, in fact, have signed later character equity agreements uh, as additional characters in the Sandman series have warranted this treatment. Is that correct? Exactly. Is it also true that, well, let me ask you, you testified earlier about your characters that you may introduce early in... In an early issue, you've given an example of Barbie, and all she did, she was scenery. I think uh, the la- is the language you said, right? And then some 20 issues or so later, she came back and gets her own issue, right? Yes. Do you know if you got any character equity agreement at some point that included the character of Barbie?
1: I have no idea. I have no idea where Unity Kincaid was perfectly one of the those characters, She is a woman who is on stage for 15, maybe 20 panels in the whole of the second storyline. What issue? It says here she first appears in Sandman 10. It's possible she first appears in Sandman 11. I would have to check. But she's just a little old lady who dies in a nursing home. So quite why they put her in there, I think she was meant... They sort of put her in here to stand in for all of the unnamed characters. And then what happens is when they get to a point with a character where they look up and they go oh, look, we have got a comic coming out with a character or we are doing a toy with this character that Neil created or somebody is spinning it off. At that point, they send me a character equity agreement. An example which would be exactly analogous to the medieval spawn is again recently I was sent, I created a character at DC, did an old-fashioned version of an existing DC character.
0: Who was that? Character called John Constantine. Where did John Constantine first appear in DC Comics? Swamp Thing something or other. Did he have his own title? Yes, he does. Did he when he first appeared in DC Comics?
1: No, he was a character in a crowd. And what did you do with him? I created a 17th century, 18th century version of him. What did you do with the 18th century version of him? She came on for one scene in Sandman number 14 and tried to capture my hero and failed.
0: Is that the only time that John Constantine appeared?
1: No, that was Lady Joanna, his ancestress. And then I had her turn up a couple of years later on an adventure in the French Revolution.
0: Do you have a character equity agreement covering Lady Johanna? One
1: is apparently on its way because I just heard they are doing a miniseries starring her.
0: So that's a miniseries starring Lady Johanna? Right. The only char- the original character was not Lady Johanna, right? Right. The original character was John Constantine. Correct. And Lady Johanna was John Constantine's ancestor. Probably fucking lawyers, man. I'm not sure how that's analogous to Medieval Spawn. Derivative character. I did a version of the character, changed her sex this time. Now, the original character, John Constantine, was not the title character of any DC Comics product, was it? Yes, he was the
1: comic. It's called either Hellblazer or John Constantine Hellblazer.
0: And that's what originally appeared in DC Comics, is that correct?
1: No. The comic that originally appeared... The character originally appeared in was Swamp Thing, where he was a minor character who grew into a major character, and then he spun off, not created by me.
0: So you just... In creating the character, the Lady Johanna character, uh, who you are now getting a character equity agreement with, that was a derivative character of an existing DC Comics character, John Const- Constantine, correct? Yep. And you say you have a character equity agreement for her is on the way. Uh-huh. As far as you know... Uh, Will it have the same terms as far as what royalty percentages, et cetera, are in Exhibit uh, 58? I cannot say. Have you negotiated any additional uh, different terms? There is a prorated... Anyway, in answer
1: to your specific question, I haven't negotiated. I'm waiting for the thing to arrive, and I assume that DC will treat me fairly because they always have. There is certainly... You should have... Can I mention
0: something? No, Gaiman's lawyer? No, let's just... The witness. Okay. Okay, Is, is the witness Neil Gaiman? I think so. Okay. Why do you guys start playing games with us like <laughs> that? <laughs> uh, question from McFarlane's lawyer. If you think there's a document uh, I should have and you want to ask your attorney, uh, if we can speed things along, please feel free to do so. Discussion off the record. Let's, let's, let's cut things there, man. That's a good hour okay. worth of stuff, man. And we'll be able to jump back in with uh, John Constantine talk and such, man.
1: Man, these lawyers are, are uh, frustrating.
0: They're milking their fucking five hundred dollars an hour pay. Each new piece, when they come back from the bathroom break, you could you could tell that you're going to milk fifteen minutes to get back on track. And what's that, man? Two three hundred dollars worth of pay? It it's wild to me how much
1: detail they're going into for essentially. Are they even arguing that, like, early on McFarlane said he would treat Gaiman better than DC? And so now they're trying
0: to very clearly define exactly what DC's terms were? To the point of, like, here's a blank version of the contract, and here's one with your signature on it. Now we have to spend 10 minutes to try to figure out if there's one letter difference it's it's frustrating. <laughs> I,
1: I can't imagine uh, going through this. That, I, I, that, that you,
0: part with the lawyer guy, like, so I, he's playing dumb. Like, how is this a derivative work, uh, this Lady Johanna thing? Like, like, how is this analogous to medieval spawn in any way? Uh, this must be
1: a fine line, right? Because, I mean, this is going to be decided by a judge, right? Yeah. This isn't going to a jury. So, like, does the judge at some point be like, Knock it off. Like
0: just just straight and narrow. Come on. It's 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 insane. And when he asks these questions, doesn't it feel a bit like Socratic argument? Like keep the guy talking, keep the guy in the witness stand talking so that he he jams himself up and says something stupid? It, It does feel that way. It's just it's
1: it's hard to understand the point of some of these. You know, it feels like you're just going in circles. Yeah. Um makes me think of Kafka. I feel like, right. like was he deposed and then, and then he wrote, you know, the trial or something like <laughs> it's I, I'm surprised how much time we spend on just determining which contract we're referencing. This, this seems like not the best use of time, but hey, we will find out uh, in the future.
0: And when you build a story, right, you get that middle piece that's setting things up. And I'm taking a look at my little timeline here. We're building to the climax we're building to the climax <laughs> the name miracle man was said so we're that gonna... feels like the big piece of
1: this reading and um a lot of reading for you know pretty much to just get that uh to get that there and also to get that it's they've come to a point of trying to make a contract
0: and and figure out okay so what is this dc stuff you've been talking this dc stuff like let's look at some of this dc shit man Dan best i want to see what a new game's contracts look like
1: I'm interested in seeing the Todd McFarlane version of this deposition because like the yeah. other takeaway here is how surprised Todd is or, you know, seems unable to figure out how to create a royalty setup for this. But like Todd had contracts with Marvel, you know, like wouldn't that have been some indication of different things? And and failing that if, you know, Neil has faxed these contracts, like it seems like there's your blueprint. Play. Yeah. Yeah, plug and play. And clearly, McFarlane has lawyers working for him at this time. So I don't know. It doesn't seem like it should be that outlandish of a concept that they can't work out some sort of agreement. Seven or, or at least a, put it all in writing and then fight about you know those terms. But it, it seems like to go round and round and round, and not with the lawyer here, but with McFarlane and Martyr and all those people. Like, How frustrated would you be if
0: you're Neil Gaiman? One hopes to have a successful piece of work. Uh, participating in Image Comics at that time was big business. He said it, man. If if you had that Image eye on your thing, you could you could almost guarantee you're going to sell two hundred fifty thousand copies of something. Uh, that that could that could keep a guy alive in, in, in 2020. I am so curious, and I hope we get
1: into some numbers as we get going. That. Uh, obviously, the sales of it's 1997 or something. Some of the reference to trying to the work gravy out the over. things are bad at that point in, in comics land in, in America, anyway. So I'm curious about like what's an Image comic selling in 1997, but also like twenty thousand dollars for that toy. In my mind, the toys far eclipsed the comic stuff by a million percent. And, and so they were in Kmart. How many Kmart's were out there? So like, I'm curious about all of that. Like, what's a royalty on a toy? How many toys were actually selling? Um, a lot of questions, man. Like, we got numbers in the beginning of this. I am
0: hoping to, that we get another round of numbers soon. We got some new Todd McFarlane jargon, love checks. <laughs> That's, n- nobody ever tried to pay me with a love check. Fuck that. Man. I'm going straight to my lawyer. I'm not taking five years for that. I don't want a love check. No love checks, man. Uh, it, it, it feels like, you know, if there's seven deadly sins, Uncle Todd... Has a lot of pride. This is that, like, uh,
1: I talk about the Staircase documentary and how, like, every episode I what would switch. That? It's a 10-part documentary about a murder trial in South Carolina, I think. But at the end of each session or, or each episode, I'd be like, oh, no, he's definitely guilty. Or, oh, he's not guilty. I feel like uh, at this point I've swung now in, in Neil Gaiman's favor. Yeah. Up to this point, I was like, I don't know. This feels very strong on Neil Gaiman's side to me, this, well, I, this passage. I feel
0: like we've all been in this position, man, where, it, like, you're happy to do some work. How am I getting paid? It happens early in one's career often. Man. It does. How, how am I getting, because they you're disrespected and they don't think you're going to.
1: Yeah, I'll give you some insight on my freelance career. You, you send me the inquiry for a job. My very first response is what's, what's compensation? Yeah. Because like, just get it down. Like maybe that's not the main reason I'm going to work for you or not, but I want to know what we're talking about. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. A lot of stuff in here. Wow. It's yeah, just, this was... Uh, <laughs> it's, it's revealing, man. It's just getting better, man. I see a lot more character <laughs> names uh, moving forward. Uh, so we are getting into the minutia of... What, I mean, what we're really examining are the most successful comic book creators and some of the back-end stuff that helped build their successes uh, in terms of the, 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 the legality involved, in terms of rights and stuff. There, there's a lot of instruction in here. Till next yeah. time? Yes. Fabers, like follow subscribe to the youtube channel hit the bell we'll notify you when new vids are available what's out there jimmy Sub- join
1: me on patreon.com slash jimrug where you can download a dozen of my out of print zines and mini comics uh you can see my original art scripts layouts how i make comics i make like street angel plain jane's octobriana all of that is at patreon.com slash jimrug.
0: Red Room, the anti-social network trade paper back in stores now. It is going quickly, and it's going to take a while for those reprints to get reprinted because of this paper shortage at all the print houses, man. Uh, speaking of that paper shortage, uh, Red Room Trigger Warnings, issue number one. It was going to come out in December. Uh, it had to get pushed back six weeks, and it's going to be coming out in February 2022. This gives you plenty of time to get that put on your pull list. If you want to read it, you can do so ahead of time on my Patreon Patreon.com slash uh, All those links are in my link tree in the description below this video. What else do we have out there? Subscribe to the Cartoonist
1: Kayfabe e-newsletter at the links below this video. You can also find Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts and merchandise at
0: the links below this video. Give them those orders, Jimmy. We're going to be on our way. Make more comics. Quit snitching and stay out of jail. <laughs>